0: Welcome to the Future Christian Podcast, your source for insights and ideas on how to lead your church into the 21st century. At the Future Christian Podcast, we talk to pastors, authors, and other faith leaders for helpful advice and practical wisdom to help you and your community of faith walk boldly into the future. Now, here's your host, Lauren Richmond Jr. Welcome to the Future Christian Podcast.
1: Today, I'm welcoming Matt Serdahl to the pod. Matt is a father of two and an ordained pastor living near the front range of the ancestral Rocky Mountains in Denver, Colorado. He has been influenced by the Christian mystical tradition, Jungian psychology, and the visionary lineage of Animus Valley Institute as a certified nature-based human development guide, currently in training as a soul, soul initiation guide. In 2014, Matt founded Church of Lost Walls, a Denver wild church seeking to step across the threshold into a community based of sacred reciprocity, relationship with a watershed, wild sacramental worship, and a commitment to ecological education and justice. In 2014, Matt co-founded Seminary of the Wild, an eco-ministry leadership and movement hub for a wild spirituality. Matt has been a contributing writer for Progressive Christianity and is currently writing a book called Mythic Christ – In 2022, Matt began his life's work developing a mystery school and launching a year-long eco-depth training program called Awakening Mythic Imagination. Matt has been mentoring women and men through dream work, deep imagery, leadership coaching, ceremony and ritual, and personal myth work as channels for accessing the deep self and living with greater authenticity and purpose in service to the world. All right. Welcome to the show, Reverend Matt Serdahl. Thanks so much for being here. Uh, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right. <laughs> I'm
2: enjoying the weather here in Colorado. So
1: Matt and I just had to work through some technical challenges, so we're making this roll as best we can. So if we both seem yeah. a little on edge, that's why. Uh, Matt, what else would you like our listeners to know about you?
2: Yeah. So I'm, uh, I don't know. I'm just an ordinary family guy for the most part who lives on the front range of the ancestral Rocky mountains. And um, I have a couple of girls who, and, and um, I'm married and um, I have a r- really great family, but I'm also uh, an artist. I'm a poet, a mystic, a lover of the natural world, uh, that, whole, that whole thing. So um, I would just say uh core to who I am is I'm just a really curious Mm -hmm. individual about lots of different things and i'd say my sense of faith is really rooted in a strong sense of awe and wonder which are kind of my primary drivers and um i felt kind of this mysterious permission most of my life to follow the thread so to speak and it's taken Mm -hmm. me into some really interesting and wonderful terrain and um so i'm i'm just excited to be here
1: awesome Um, talk about your journey of faith, what that's looked like in the past, kind of what that looks like today.
2: Yeah, totally. Um, well, I, I grew up, uh, in the Presbyterian church in Seattle, um, from pretty early age, Mm -hmm. but I never really deeply resonated with it. There was always kind of a disconnect, I think, um, my childhood faith and, um, Actually felt most connected with God with the divine um, through hours playing in the woods behind my childhood home.
1: Mm, yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> um, I had kind of old growth forest right behind my house where I grew up and mm-hmm. um, then after college in my early twenties, I had a uh, mystical experience, I guess you could say um, that sort of reframed my life and it actually led me into the church. Like a little more seriously, and a little more authentically, and um, so my my kind of past experience of Christianity and faith um, has always been framed by um, Christian mysticism, and um, mm-hmm. in particular, like its emphasis on experience and transformation. Yeah. yeah, and so Jesus has always been kind of a an inner event and process as much as a historical person for me and um mm-hmm. my earlier faith was pretty much influenced by Franciscan um faith as well and the whole deal so i'm i I consider myself kind of a lifelong learner and uh seeker and um I've always felt like a bit of a misfit as well
1: yeah yeah um I'm guessing spiritual practices have something to do with being in the outdoors
2: mm-hmm yeah for sure. um yeah spiritual practices uh a big part of that is developing I've kind of developed a wandering rhythm, so mm-hmm. a, a lot of time spent outdoors um not not hiking per se, more walking a tune and in tune with what's happening in the natural world and um,
1: mm-hmm.
2: it's kind of a contemplative practice, a contemplative yeah. discipline. And uh, it's a way of um, experiencing the world um, as revelatory, as, as part mm-hmm. of the divine's way of communicating with us. Um, also, come a, a couple other personal practices that have been really influential in my life is dream work and mm-hmm. uh, deep imagery. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, for me, dreams have always been kind of a primary form of communication with the divine and i think it's something we haven't really um i don't know championed or explored very much in the christian church um mm-hmm. but it, but it's a place of wisdom for living and a way that we can experience wholeness and that's how it's been um, in my own personal practice and with folks that i work with as well
1: yeah, I mean certainly the biblical narrative is stock full of examples of people taking, you know, taking their dreams pretty seriously.
2: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's right. I mean, uh Joseph and uh there's a whole host of others in the um Bible even including Peter, I think. Um Yeah. Which we don't talk about a whole lot, but dreams were always accessed as a source of wisdom and guidance.
1: Yeah. Well, I had you on, I had Matt on to talk about themes around eco-spirituality, some of your projects you've done, but I want to start off, and this is a curveball, Matt, so hang with me here. Um, I just want to talk more about the, the you use the word mystic, being a mystic. Um, I wrote down just some of the words you you described, you know, you describe yourself as curious, uh, someone who's shaped by awe and wonder, um, talk about wandering. You know, I have sort of wondered, started recently and probably in the last few years, used the term mystic for myself as well. Perhaps maybe I might interpret that differently, but I'm just kind of curious what your thoughts on this, us both serving in mainline Protestant contexts, how much that this tradition, at least maybe in the last 50 years, 70 years in America has been shaped by and kind of kind of like intellectualism. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm also thinking about this in terms of like, I, I imagine you've probably seen this in the news as we're recording this. The the Asbury revival—it's what a few weeks, a few weeks old—and there's certainly mm-hmm. been some pushback from, at least from what I've seen, from many folks in mainline contexts. You know, questioning the efficacy or legitimacy. But again, thinking at as myself, someone. As mystical, I think, boy, it feels like there's something there. Uh, so I'm just curious, like, what are your thoughts on like, that kind of intellectualism uh, versus maybe a need, again, and that's my words for a more mystical faith experience in mainline contexts?
2: Yeah, totally. I think that's one of the primary questions we need to be asking as a church, actually, right now. Um, intellectualism is, um, in, in, in my opinion, it is helpful for practical means for, you know, church polity and things like that. And for helping us make sense of what we've experienced. Um, mm-hmm. But mysticism, you know, with the root kind of word of mystery and, and um, mysticism is primarily experiential for me at least. And I, I, I see it more phenomenological um, as a way of, um being in conversation with the world and um Mm -hmm. mysticism also seems to hold this tension between the creation and um faith the creation and spirituality um in a way that helps us experience the world more fully and be in service um to the world more fully and um intellectualism, you know, has its place, rational faith, you know, kind of has its place. Right. Um, But um, what I think one of the deep places of hunger and humanity in the human community right now is the need for mystery and the need for awe and wonder and relationality um, that kind of interbeing that the mystics talk about, whether it's Meister Eckhart or, Tehard de Chardin or something like that, you know, Iliadelio and all those. And so there's kind of, I think there's a bit of a revival in mysticism happening as well mm-hmm. right now, as much as there is in, you know, um, kind of other forms.
1: Right. Yeah, because I'm, you know, again, I'm thinking and I'm probably caricaturing too a bit here to speak of mainline context. And certainly this is not true, or this is true not only of mainline context, um, probably broadly speaking, right, in the Protestantism writ large, I suppose, this kind of like intellectual bias or emphasis. But I think about, again, and again, maybe this is my own bias or my own perspective, but I think about like like people go to like a concert or they go to some kind of event, they want to have an experience. Like They don't want to just be like intellectually like, Oh wow, that was a great idea and hmm that's a good point. Like like I don't I, you know I have young kids so like I don't get out much. How about you, Matt? Like, <laughs> but, <laughs> like I want to have like I want to have an experience and I think and I and push back here if you disagree. Maybe I'm applying this too broadly speaking. But like, I can see like, like a Bethel or Hillsong or a, or a passion conference. like, that's not my, I don't love their theology intellectually, but like, I can get behind like the experiential nature of like, well, we're going to experience something. We're going to experience God. And I can see why those folks are packing out arenas and stadiums and concert halls.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a, um union union analyst and christian pastor um who passed away not long ago named robert moore from um, chicago um he talks about that as well that um a lot of people are looking for something that has manna in it that has that power of connection and energizing
0: yeah.
2: us in our connection actually to something divine but we're We find it in rock concerts, right? We find it Mm -hmm. in um, something that's immersive and experiential and lifts us out of kind of our mundane, ordinary experience. And that that longing, that thirst, that hunger is hardwired in us as human beings. Mm -hmm. And um, mysticism provides a pathway um, to reconnection with the world on the world's terms, right? So we're open to the mysterious and numinous um, quality of the world um, itself that we understand as divine and that we experience as divine. Um, so it's a way of, you know, religion in its primary um, meaning means to rebind again, right? It's yeah, relegare. yeah. And so it's a way of reconnecting us with what we've split, um, split off, which in this case is nature, um, even the deep feminine, um, the divine feminine, and um, the visionary imagination. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's what's most important about kind of the eco mystical path. Is what we need as a culture and a species right now is. Um, a reconnection with visionary imagination to help us, yeah, regenerate and heal a broken culture in its relationship to the world. And if any organization was called to such a high calling, I would hope that it would be the the church, you know
1: mm-hmm. Talk more about that, that the lack of visionary imagination. Where do you see that playing out? What are some examples of that?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. Well, um, as a student of historical theology, I think the early church really created a room for um, the deep imagination for being guided by visionary experience. Um, mm-hmm. We see that we see that in the scriptures, of course, with Peter and his dream of the right. you know. Um, wild animals right. that came down from the sky and all that, and it actually influenced the direction of the of the church.
1: Yeah,
2: um, yeah. Also, I think you know, in the Orthodox tradition and the Catholic tradition, they still retained a connection to the images and archetypes in a way that the Protestant yeah. tradition yep. kind of eschewed that. It kind of threw out the baby with the bathwater and became a very um, literate text driven faith, which supported kind of that rationality. Right. Um, so I think that there's a really, um, we, we sort of kicked out all the artists, priests, you know, healers, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. um, we've kind of kicked out all of the mystics and the saints from the church and, um, we need to welcome them back. Home, and we need to welcome them back home in us. To be honest, um, so that that's that's what really inspires me about, um, you know, an, an area of transformation or awakening happening within the church.
1: Yeah. Well, let's talk about some of the ways you're trying to welcome these folks home. To use your words, you've undertaken, at least as I've read in your, your information, a number of eco-spirituality projects, I guess, to, to use your word, talk more about kind of some of those and what they've been about, kind of what their, their overall mission is and and why you see that need.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Great. Thanks. Um, yeah. So I, I've been kind of experimenting, um, I guess what you'd say is it's kind of like a circle. Um, like if, yeah. If the Christ tradition was like a circle, I've been kind of operating right on the inside of that edge and right on the outside of that that edge. Um, a bit of edge walking, I guess you could say. Like, you know, the
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, and my first project was um, Church of Lost Walls here in the Denver area. And um, I began it before the, kind of before the wild church movement started taking off. But the purpose of Church of Lost Walls was really to step across the threshold into a new kind of community that was based sacred reciprocity with the landscape mm-hmm. um, to be in a, a faithful relationship with our own watershed. and um, mm-hmm. So we you know we, we were really exploring wild sacrament, wild sacramental worship, And uh, a connection and a commitment to ecological education and justice as a community and healing that um, relationship with with the natural world by spending time outdoors, by Mm -hmm. spending time in contemplative wanders and things of that sort. Um, So that was a really great uh, community and journey. And it really kind of resonated with the nuns and the Duns to say, <laughs> to use that term or yeah, the yeah. spiritual, but right. not religious as, as much as um, Christians who knew that there was something else beyond kind of the walls on Sunday morning that could really mm-hmm. help reconnect them um, to their faith. So, um, and then the second big project we started about six years ago and it was um, called Seminary of the Wild. And that, that came up after a 14 day, um, wilderness fast for me, at least it came from a 14 day wilderness fast in the San Juan mountains here in Colorado. And I had this vision of bridging, um, kind of this nature based approach of spiritual development with, um, more of the conventional institutional Christian world and, um, It was a really um, wonderful journey. I reached out to a friend of mine uh, who kind of operates in some of these circles. And I said, hey, listen, I want to offer these multi-day intensives in nature with Christian leaders and do some of these um, practices. And uh, Mm -hmm. so for a few years, we offered these immersions here in the Front Range and Washington, a couple other places around. And um, there was just a lot of, Resonance with it, with the work and some pretty powerful encounters in people's lives, and so my f- my friend and I started kind of asking, well, what is this? What what are we doing? And what do we want this yeah. to become? And he had this little, you know, kind of whisper one day of seminary of the wild, and um, mm-hmm. is just kind of a mm-hmm. resonant term. And so we reached out to a couple friends and brought in a couple. Um, partners into the work who were co-founders as well uh, that were really interested in this idea. And, um, we started offering larger retreats. Um, we offered a few retreats at ghost ranch with folks like, um, Brian McLaren and Richard Rohr and some others. And Mm -hmm. people came and were really supportive of what, of what we were up to. And so we launched seminary of the wild and, um, it became kind of this movement hub for eco-spiritual leaders, um, kind of right on the inside and outside edge of that circle of Christianity. So we had pastors and professors and therapists and wild church folks and activists and seekers that really didn't want to have anything to do with Christianity, but were really fascinated with what we were up to. And, um, mm-hmm the mission was really to provide a container um, to reimagine this new story emerging um, at the edge of faith and um, ecology and uh, was really focused on rewilding Christianity and um, cultivating a new kind of leadership. And um, so it was a, it was a really great experience and, as we as we went on, um, the four of us ended up, I guess, sort of feeling called to specific visions through this process and practice together, and um, so we ended up disbanding to kind of pursue different things. Um,
1: mm-hmm.
2: And during that time was when um, the Mythic Christ Mystery School um, came as the forefront of my vision personally, and. Um, It came from a a large part of of a lot of stuff that I learned with Seminary of the Wild and kind of experience I drew from. But it also came from uh, some of my own dreams and encounters with with the divine. And it's uh, um, Mythic Christ Mystery School is really about supporting personal um, transformation and social action through a a whole framework of, nature-based human development and mythic imagination and um we gather um with immersions and online community and it's designed to support this kind of emergent leadership that's happening right now in an age of climate emergency and um lots of really fascinating people kind of from all over the the globe and um i'd say it's been a real container and support system for people that recognize a, a new a new ancient way of being in the world is absolutely necessary for us in these times and um, it borrows largely from the mystical Christ tradition and kind mm-hmm. of a union background and um, the core of the program is experiential so it's really about, Tapping into that visionary realm of the deep imagination, practicing ritual and sacrament, and um, gearing people up for cultural action that's grounded in the mysteries. And so it's been a real—it's um, a new project. its a, I've only been working on it for a little over a year, but um, lots of energy and lots of good feedback. And um, I'm starting a new um, year-long program coming up here in september so i'm really excited about that
1: yeah i think that's interesting again staying with our themes of intellectualism versus mysticism you know you talk about that analogy or image of the circle you know being on the edge or perhaps darting outside the edge Mm -hmm. and again i correct me if you know you disagree here but i'm thinking like i imagine as a mystic you're like those lines are pretty blurry right you're like uh you know, I'm not even sure where the lines might be at times, correct, you know, correct me if you're wrong or if, if you disagree, or again, as an intellectual might say, like, this is the, the lines right here and (laughs) we don't want to go anywhere near it. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good point. Um, I think part of what I understand, at least the, the mystics or the mystical tradition is an openness to a God that is larger than our conscious understanding of God, if that makes sense. Mm, yeah, and so the idea is, um, we're being uh, we're being driven forward to step more fully into a deeper purpose and a calling, and sometimes that calling mm-hmm. and that purpose invites us into a way of being in the world that is misunderstood. That is not supported, um, or not valued, but yeah. um, those those of us in this journey also know that it's of high high value, and it's seeking to get at the roots of of the problem and the roots of transformation, um, and not just for individuals, but um, to help shape the culture, something like that.
1: Let me ask this and. In- let me ask this, perhaps as a follow-up to, you know, the question about boundaries. Is at least as I thinking through it in my mind. Um, I'm hoping this is a fair question. Is there ever like, would you say like within this kind of mystical Christianity, eco spirituality? Would you say like there's ever like, hey, we've gone too far here. Like this is this is out of bounds. Gotcha. Yeah. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah. Um. Yeah, I think. It depends because um, I think part of the core of, and I I don't want to speak for mystical Christianity um, in general or mysticism in general, but I'd say what's true for me is um, God is, has sort of planted this seed, this image, um, this truth um, that is not just, um, a denominational truth or a doctrinal truth, mm-hmm. but it is a lived mm-hmm. and experienced truth. And the idea is um, I think scripture, tradition, doc, doctrine, dogma, and all those things um, are sort of like guardrails in a certain sense, right? Uh, kind of mm-hmm. yeah. help us, um, you know. Um, Something that's emerged over hundreds of years, sometimes thousands of years, that help us understand the territory that we're living in and what we're moving towards. And so I would say, yeah, there's certain things that go beyond Christian mysticism and probably eco spirituality um, that you'd say, I'm not sure if this is really in service um, to the world, or I'm not sure if this is really in service to. Um, humanity or human growth or transformation and i think yeah um, i think the difference is we're we're also cultivating an inner a sense of inner authority um, a sense of deep subjectivity so that um but we also have a community um a community and a tradition and so i'd say that outer or that edge of the circle Is something that's always there. It's it's like a tether, right? It's that it's sort of that um, greater tradition, that greater vehicle that um, we're standing on the shoulders of, so to speak, as well. That we need to maintain that connection to, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna make a hard gear shift right here and try to play it well. You know, you mentioned maintaining connections, standing on shoulders. Um, the shift is here, I want to make, you're doing a lot of this, at least as I, if I understand your career correctly, you're doing these projects while working in traditional mainline church contexts. Yes. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: That's right.
1: So, so a, I think uh, hopefully we're going to have time here to here kind of just talk through like what it's like kind of, being in both sides of these somewhat different contexts, right? Um, but more practically speaking, do you think it's a, like, a? have often wondered, like, is it a viable strategy for for pastors who want to do something new or creative, perhaps even start a new church or some kind of new faith gathering, kind of like what you've done, to still have, you know, to still have a role in an established church, A, for practically speaking, like a paycheck, um, do you you think that's a viable strategy that more creative entrepreneurial innovators might try?
2: Yeah, the short answer to that is yes. Um, And I would also say it's likely to be the way of the future in this liminal time that we're living in. Um, I Mm -hmm. I would encourage... Um, probably everyone to start a um, uh, you know start a passion project or to start an innovative um, project that can be stewarded and supported Um, I think it's challenging to do that if it's um, if there's not a community to help steward guide and support it Um, so I'd say that Mm -hmm. I would also say, um, what I do gives me life. It brings me alive in an incredible way. Um, it keeps me centered on a larger vision and it actually helps the work I do in the church in my church context for a, a variety of hmm. reasons. Mm-hmm. One is it gives me, yeah. gives me energy and imagination. Um, that i would not have had i not had i not been doing um these other projects um right Two two is it it um there's a dialectic between um working in the more of a traditional church and working outside of a traditional church in some visionary ways yeah um that inform each other and also keep the work grounded it keeps the work grounded and Mm -hmm. um Regular community and regular needs and important needs. Um, so I'd say that. Um, um, also, I would say um, it is a, a place of tension in my life. It's not easy. Yeah. In fact, it can be really yeah really yeah, it can be really hard. Uh, <laughs> it can be very very misunderstood. So I'm I'm kind of used to. Yeah, misunderstood and mis.
1: I was kind of like, Matt, what is the secret sauce here? <laughs> if you have got this figured yeah, out, yeah, yeah. can you please share it? Uh,
2: misunderstood, misperceived. Um, we need a lot yeah. of wholeness to do this work. Um, but I would say that right. the tension is a creative tension if we can bear it. That the tension itself mm-hmm. shapes, um I'll speak for myself, the tension shapes who I am and who I'm becoming. And without that hmm. tension, um, that that level of growth is harder to come by, I think. Um, yeah. So I hope that's kind of helpful.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I was just thinking, practically speaking, you know, many of the things you said that resonate with me, kind of like this this podcast that I'm doing, is kind of like a passion project. Obviously, it's not enough for me to support me. Um, and there has to be some level of, give and take within my, my church job and jobs to kind of make it all work. Um, totally. And I can, I can imagine that, that tension of, again, just practically speaking, you know, I'm thinking practically here, like, you know, if someone's like, Hey, we, you know, why aren't you out or why aren't you in the office more? Why aren't you visiting more people? You know, why are you doing this weird thing in the woods type <laughs> of thing? You know?
2: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that that is part of it. It's um, it, it's a perspective shift, I think, for a lot of uh, not just church members, but a lot of Christians and leaders in general. It's so, sort of like, are you dividing yourself? Or are you dividing your time? And my my answer to that is um, it's sort of like the tent making concept that yeah. we as pastors or or Christians or spiritual leaders, we have to be on the edge of innovation and change. We have to be the ones out front who see the terrain way in the distance and can come back like a Moses or like a prophet and um, bring salt to the church community. Um, That has to be a part of our job. So I would recommend to any pastors or church leaders listening um, be bold and be courageous about what you want and what you need to um, to foster your creativity and passion and vision and help your leaders help your community understand why you need that and why it's important for the larger church.
1: I want to highlight what you're saying here, at least as as I understand it. I'm trying to scratch notes here um, as we talk, because I think the temptation is, and well, I really want to dive into this or dial in on this. The temptation is to see, like again, to use you know your 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 efforts, Matt, or like for example, my podcast is like, oh, it's just some vanity project that Lauren's doing or Matt's doing to kind of feed his own ego or desire but what you're what you're saying if i'm hearing you right is like this is an opportunity for pastors to kind of live in these are going to be my words matt so tell me if you disagree to kind of feel like they're fully living into uh maybe their are their, their full calling mm-hmm. to be visionary like you said um and it kind of goes with one of the questions i was going to ask you is like mainline church context can be very like laborious, uh, dry, um, God bless them. Soul sucking at times. I mean, clergy burnout is a real yeah. thing. Um, so if I'm hearing you right, it sounds like it, it, not just to be like, do some kind of fun side hustle. It's like, it's can be a way to kind of balance your own soul, but also kind of be visionary and, and future church. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
2: Future church for sure. I think that's exactly um, that's exactly right. The other the other thing is um, cultivating of of wholeness. Um, I think a lot of church leaders were not trained or did not learn practices to help us um, live from our deepest authenticity, and so we have all these mm-hmm. expectations put on us. We, have a lot, we get a lot of projection. Um, um, we get a lot of resistance. And to, yeah. do, to undergo spiritual growth in an intentional and, and focused and guided way adds strength and support to everything we do because we show up differently in our church context. And when, yeah. when we show yeah. up differently, it starts to slowly shift the system itself. So that's another point I wanted to highlight.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Um and again, maybe maybe it's because of our kind of like the way that capitalism has really kind of just entrenched itself in our kind of American psyche mm-hmm. um about like the need to feel like we're getting getting our employees full workload or or work effort mm-hmm. value for what we're compensating them for. Um, And then two, I think, again, is kind of a a business word, so forgive me here. Um, But I'm thinking of like, can we help churches think about this as like R&D essentially, saying like, hey, we're not just going to be about managing the institution of this church as is. Um, But think of like, again, kind of your work, Matt, hopefully what I'm doing here somewhat as like R&D that may not benefit like Right here, right now, this church, right here, but could pay again business for dividends in the future. Yeah,
2: yeah. R and D is a great kind of business, you know, um, analogy for it because that's that's exactly what it is. Um, If you look at all the, you know, if you look at some of the largest successful companies, they have developed this understanding that people need space they need downtime they need to learn how to be present-centered you know even with meditation and all sorts of different things they need those moments where they're recharged with that kind of creative core of who they are and that they will actually perform better and contribute more to the company right so the church um, has the church has every should be thinking about that the other piece is I bring what I do um, on a on a totally different scale in in some of these other um, projects like Mythic Christ Mystery School. Um, I bring everything I do into my pastoral work and leadership development here at the at the church as well. Right, it's just translated right. a bit differently, um, but it's the same right. kind of principles and and guidance, and it. Um, contributes to the health of the leadership um, as well.
1: Right. Yeah. Like, like similarly, like when I'm like, you know, I'm fortunate. I get to talk to all kinds of different pastors and church leaders like yourself. And it's not like I'm just like putting that information in a box and like leaving it here in my quote unquote podcast studio. Like it, it stays with me and influences me. And, And I think if I can, if I can elaborate on the point, like when a, when a pastor is, doing some kind of – it seems out there as a project or a spiritual endeavor, like it's it, – there's going to be some kind of returns. Again, I keep going back to these business metaphors. There's going to be returns for the church in their context. Now, mind you, I, I'm imagining it may not look like what they might want or desire, but I think we can both agree like there's returns that are coming.
2: yeah. And I'm going to be honest uh, here, to to Lauren. I think that some of these business insights are originally spiritual insights, if that makes sense. That the business world, yeah, the business world has understood and integrated something that the church has missed, perhaps. Wow. Um, and so that's another way that as the church too, we we can't hold fast and tight to this sacred secular dichotomy, but that we're here to learn. Um, we're, we're, we're a part of an ecosystem, right? We're here to learn um and find wisdom wherever we can find it.
1: Hmm. That's good stuff. Um uh, Let me ask you one more question here before we take a break. And for sake of time, Try to make these, give me some quick hairs maybe if you can. But uh, you mentioned earlier this idea about rewilding Christianity. I wonder if you have any quick thoughts about rewilding the church, like what that might look like, some easy ideas.
2: Easy ideas, yeah. Um, yeah, so um, I, let me define wild really quickly too. Um, wild is not crazy, out of control. That's not what wild means. Wild is nature in its original state so wild um the wild self is the natural born self it's who we are born into the world to be um and what happens in families and what happens in schools and what happens in culture is um aspects of that wildness are not welcomed they're suppressed suppressed mm-hmm. repressed you know and all those pieces and um a family or a system or a school becomes domesticated in a sense it becomes Mm -hmm. um, it atrophies um, a lot of those creative and wild um, imaginative possibilities so with the church um, uh, rewilding the church um, has to do i think with rewilding people's understanding of god rewilding people's understanding Mm -hmm. of the creation of what what the world is that it's not just a backdrop or a a toilet or somewhere where we dump our toxins but that the world is alive it is sentient in a certain sense it is um wise it has its own wisdom and intelligence it has um that we were designed to be in partnership with the creation um And so one of the things I think that's really important when we're talking about rewilding the church is (laughs) kind of rewilding our understanding of the scriptures as well. Um, There's a lot of really um, incredible and ancient wisdom in the scriptures, the gospels, the teachings of Jesus, but also the Old Testament. and we have to sort of like undomesticate the tradition and worldviews that we've inherited as, um, modern American Christians in particular. Um, and so if we can do that work as leaders in the church, and if we can get people, um, out into the creation, out into nature to, um, cultivate an I-thou relationship and to realize that natural revelation is um, a part of uh, special revelation, if you want to put it in theological terms. Natural revelation is the larger context of special revelation and that Jesus spent most of his time outdoors um, sleeping under the stars in the Garden of Gethsemane and perched you know on the uh, overlooking the kidron valley um if we can start to reimagine um, a relationship between spirituality and ecology that is inherent in our current tradition um, we can give people the permission to go with us beyond the walls of Doctrine in Christendom into the wild desert of a wild God.
1: Hmm, that's good stuff there. I really wish we had more time here to talk, uh, but I got I got places to be and people will pick up from school. Uh, let's take a break. We'll come back with some closing questions. All right. We're back with Reverend Matt Serdall. Did I get that right?
2: Yes, that's right.
1: Serdall? Uh-huh. Good. All right. Matt, closing questions here. I always tell folks you can take these as, as seriously or not as you'd like to. If you're Pope for a day, what would that day look like for you? What do you want to do?
2: <laughs> oh man, I don't even know what a Pope does in a day, but um, I'd love to see uh, our relationship with our indigenous communities around the world healed with a magic Pope wand um, and a, a great apo- apology for um the colonizing forces that we've been a part of for centuries um to to uh enter into uh, kind of a new new phase a new conversation with some of those communities yeah mm-hmm.
1: don't you was don't you wish it was as easy as a magic wand instead of the real work it takes yes you know to to Repent, ask forgiveness, all that process of reconciliation, right? Yeah, reconciliation. Or conciliation. Mm-hmm. So, Some people are using that term conciliation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, a theologian or historical Christian figure you'd want to meet or bring back to life?
2: Um, I'd love to meet Hildegard of Bingen. She, uh, she's really fascinating to me, her, her life and her work. Um, I can think of a lot. Meister Eckhart, um, James Cohn. Probably um, Pelagius, Jesus.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: Jesus would be pretty fun to, <laughs> <Yeah>. to meet. <laughs> uh, yeah.
1: What do you think history will remember from our current time and place?
2: Oh, man. I think history will remember the moment where we decided whether or not we will take responsibility as a culture, as a species for our place in this world.
1: Whoa. It's deep. <laughs> you, that's good. It's good. Yeah. Uh, what do you hope for the future of Christianity? Um, I,
2: I think that kind of all the unraveling happening right now, I'm, I'm a optimist, believe it or not, in a lot of ways. <laughs> and, um, I think all this unraveling of the monolith of um, Christendom is a really positive thing. I, I, I'd love to see um, diverse expressions. Um, I'd love to see it be more, even more decentralized. I'd love to see um, innovation leading change in environmental and climate conversations. Um, I'd love to see um, more action-oriented and community-based you know, kind of grassrootsy. Um, um, yeah, even, even more kind of a small, small group, local, uh, forms of faith. I would, I'd love to see that in the future.
1: Well, I really appreciate the time and the conversation. Uh, tell folks where they can connect with you, find out about the different projects you're working on.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, main one would be, um, Mythicchrist.com. That's all Mythic Christ is all one word dot com. That's my um website. And um you can find me at the Mythic Christ podcast, which I think is on most most of the platforms at least. Um uh, also on Facebook and Instagram. Um that's where that's where you can find me as well.
1: So well this has been a great conversation. Uh really glad to be made the time for it here. Uh, Always leave folks with a word of peace. So mad may God's peace be with you. And also with
2: you. Blessings.
0: Thanks for joining us on the future Christian podcast. To learn more about Lauren or the podcast, visit future-christian.com. One more thing before you go, do us a favor and subscribe to the podcast. And if you're feeling especially generous, leave a review it really helps us get the word out to more people about the podcast. The Future Christian Podcast is a production of Torn Curtain Arts and Resonate Media. Our episodes were mixed by Danny Burton, and the production support is provided by Paul Roe-McLevitt. Thanks, and go in peace.